All right. Um, so we are, today we are in week two of our series on uh, life in the Spirit. And what we've been doing a little bit um, as we've gotten this series started is we are walking through Romans 8. And actually we, we started um, at a slow stroll last week. We started with Romans 8, 1 through 4. Today we're going to pick it up to a good trot because we're going Romans 5 through 17. So we've got a lot of text to get through uh, this morning, uh, but we're going to be okay because um, we've done this before. So it's going to be all right. Uh, let me tell you this to start with. I have a question for you. Raise your hand if you play Candyland. Candyland? Like, I mean, okay, new question. Raise a hand if you've played Candyland. I don't mean you actively, like, I'm going home today and I'm going to break out my Candyland. No, no, no. If you've ever played Candyland. Okay. Now, there are two ways to play this. You ever get stuck in that molasses swamp? Right? I mean, you're going along and you think you're going to win, and then you get that red square with the, the black dot in the center, and you're stuck. Now, there, there's two ways to play that, apparently. One is... You just draw continuously until you get another red card. Like every time it's your turn, you pick a card, and if it's red, you can go, and if it's not, you stay stuck. The other way is you, you just have to skip a turn. The way we always used to play it as a kid was you would just draw continuously until you got another red card. And invariably, um, I would draw and draw and draw, and I would never get another red card. So I would be in the, in the swamp, stuck, while Mike, my brother, bless him, where he would just zoom right by me. I'd be getting nothing. He'd be getting double reds and double blues and the Queen Frostine one where you'd get to go all the way to the top. Come to find out, he cheated. He stacked the deck. It's so what happens when he's older than me, and I was naive, and I was just excited that he wanted to play Candyland with me. Uh, but I would never win because I would get stuck in the swamp, and I would stay there. Okay. Now, remember, my metaphors always fall apart, so it's okay. Uh, but as we get into our text today, what we're going to find out, it's a lot like sin. Okay? And we're going to deal with that as we see what Paul has to say as we continue uh, in Romans. But as a reminder, as we've been dealing in Romans here, Romans 8, we're talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit we find in churches is an all-too-foreign concept, right? We're not always very clear on who the Holy Spirit is or how he works. And so we dealt with this last week. And so if you were here, this is just a little reminder. If you weren't here, this is some good information then for you. But um, I would encourage you maybe go back and listen because these things are dealt with much more in depth. Last week, this is just a quick reminder of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Okay, That means in a way that I can't adequately explain to you, um, the Holy Spirit is the same as God. The Holy Spirit is God, but yet the Holy Spirit is distinct from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. Some people will say, well, that just makes no earthly sense, so therefore the Trinity can't be real. There are some churches in town that will tell you that, okay? Um, some places of worship in town, I guess I should say. Um, our Jehovah's Witness friends, our Mormons friends, they will argue this, that, that you can't have the Holy Spirit as God because that makes God have split personality, okay? And that's the best I can do with my human brain is decide that that can't possibly be true, so we say it's not true. Well, here's the thing. Um, 
what we need to understand about God is that God is unlike anything else. That my human brain is never going to be able to adequately describe God. And so it's okay if this doesn't make sense to me. That God is three distinct persons and at the same time, one God. Okay? Remember we said like um, water in that three forms, we've got, we've got steam and ice and, and liquid. Now that falls apart, but, but we get the picture. Like me, I am a, a son, a husband, and a father all at the same time. Okay, that falls apart too. But, but every human construct we have is going to fall apart because God is up here and we are down here. We are so limited in our understanding. But what we know from scripture is that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, which means he is fully God. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is fully God, and that's really, really important as we read what comes next. The Holy Spirit, because he's God, makes a difference in the lives of believers. Read through the book of Acts, and you'll see the disciples of Jesus Christ after his death and resurrection. They've visited with him. He's encouraged them, and they're locked together in an upper room, afraid. They don't know what to do next. They're stuck. They're waiting for what Jesus promised. They don't know what that means. They don't know what that is. They just know something is coming. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes in power. That's the day of Pentecost, and then they are out and immediately on mission. They're locked in a room, afraid for their lives, and now all of a sudden, they are defying the authorities in preaching the gospel even to the point of crucifixion, to the point where they're beaten, to the point where they're beheaded, to the point where they suffer. The Holy Spirit makes a difference in the lives of believers. Listen to me. This is, this is key for us as Christians. Because if I'm here today and I'm saying, I got Jesus, I am a Christian, but my life doesn't do anything different than it used to do, then I'm not sure, and I'm not sure you should be so confident. Because when I read this next point is the Holy Spirit comes to us as a response to our accepting and surrendering to Jesus. The Bible teaches us this very clearly, that when I become a child of God, when, when I trust Jesus on the cross, when I follow him, that the Holy Spirit now comes and lives in me, and what I read in scripture is that the Holy Spirit in me necessarily changes me. And if I refuse to change, if I don't see a need to change, if I don't want to change, then there's serious reason to question whether or not I, I am in fact the Christian that I think I am. The Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit prays for us. We actually will get to that text next week in this series. The Holy Spirit has emotion, which means we can grieve and we can anger him. And the Holy Spirit is a down payment. The Holy Spirit serves in your life as a down payment. And we'll actually read that today for future glorification. If you are, in fact, a Christian here this morning, okay, one of the great products of the Reformation, you know, where was it 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year? That's right, isn't it? 400th, 500th, it's been a long time. Um, but we're celebrating the anniversary of the Reformation. One of the great products of the Reformation is the fact that we can know for certain what happens when we die. I can know for certain when I go to bed at night that I am okay with God and that God is okay with me. 
It was something we never had before. But as we understand, it was, something, it was something we always had. It was something that the church never taught before the Reformation. But now we see this and we, and we get the Holy Spirit is a down payment for you. And so if you're more curious about those things, if you've got things that you want to know about the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to go back and listen last week, um, or we can have more conversations about that, or you can do some of your own study. But, but that's where we are as we talk about the Spirit working in you, and we'll, we'll jump off from this point. Okay? So... The thing I need you to know as we get going, too, is today we talk about um, the fact that um, there are two different realities. There is the reality of the flesh, and there is the reality of the Spirit. And you, as a Christian, cannot live in both realities. You can't live in two places at once. You can't be two people at once. You either are in the spirit or you're in the flesh. And we'll see that ferreted out as we go. But here's the thing I want you to understand. That being in the spirit does not mean that you'll be perfect. Okay? You do not need to raise your hand. Don't do it. But if I asked you, raise your hand if you're a Christian. I'd imagine most of you would raise your hand. And then I said, you know, keep your hand up if you've never sinned as a Christian all the hands would go down. The reason we need to understand that is because being in the Spirit does not mean that we will be sinless. Of course we'll sin. The power to sin is great, and our flesh is weak. The difference is that being in the Spirit, when I sin, I will feel it. And I will know it. And I will run from it. And I will repent of it. And it will cut me to the core. And when I'm in the flesh and I sin, I'll post it on Facebook and I'll laugh about it and I'll make plans to do it again next Friday night. As we go through this text today, we're going to see that being in the Spirit does not mean that you'll be sinless, okay? It's going to be hard. You're going to be stuck. But it does mean that you're compelled to move forward. And because of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have the freedom to do so, freedom you never had before, okay? But it's going to be hard. And some of you that struggle with temptation know this. In fact, here's the deal. When you become a Christian... And when you try to say no to sin, it doesn't become easier to say no to sin. It becomes harder. So if you, if you became a Christian and you thought, okay, well, now I'm going to turn my life around and it's going to be easier. No, no, no. It gets harder. Because when you never tried to say no, like when the temptation came and it was at like level two and then you gave in, you experienced level two temptation. Okay? It's, it's, it's you know, it's there. You can feel it and you gave in. But when you try to say yes to righteousness, when you try to to withhold, when you try to stand up to sin, okay, you're going to experience all new levels of temptation that you've never had to experience before because you're saying no to sin, and all of a sudden that level two temptation doesn't work anymore. So guess what? Now you're facing level three temptation. That's harder than I've ever had, but I can still say no. And then it's four temptation, and it's level five temptation. And next thing you know, you are facing serious, heavy temptation 
top of the scale temptation because you're trying to say no to sin that you used to say yes to. I'm going to tell you something that's going to sound weird to you. That's an indicator that you're doing it right. When your temptation quotient rises, that's a good indicator that you're doing something well. Because it means you're not folding the minute it happens. And that you're not caving in as soon as the slightest breeze of temptation comes your way. Men, uh, women too, right? When you decide, I'm not looking at porn today. I am not doing it today. Well, guess what? The longer you stand firm, the harder and harder and the more intense and the more intense that temptation to look at porn is going to be. That's okay. That's not an indication that you're doing it wrong. It's an indication that you're standing firm. You say, I'm not drinking today. I'm not doing it. I struggle with alcohol. I'm an alcoholic. I'm not having a drink today. And you know what? That temptation is going to rise and it's going to get bigger and it's going to get stronger. And that's okay. I'm not saying it's easy. Okay? But the longer you withhold, then the more intense it's going to be. And if we were left on our own, we would always fold. But what we'll see when we get into Romans 8 here is that we're not left on our own. Let's get into this. Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. Now we're going to talk about contrast. So in this first chunk of Scripture, we're talking about those that are stuck in flesh as opposed to that are stuck in the Spirit. Okay, but remember, Paul's writing this to Christians, so the answers that he's posing are foregone conclusions. He knows who he's writing to. Okay, he's writing to people that are in the Spirit, but he's telling them, here's the difference. Here's what you see is the difference. And he says, so those who are dominated by the sinful nature... Think about sinful things. That makes sense, doesn't it? If you're dominated by the sinful nature, you're going to think about sin, right? You're going to think about new things. You're going to think about ways to, to do what you want. You're going to be tempted. You're always going to be living in this area where I can just go do whatever it is that I want to do. And why wouldn't you? When you're dominated by the sin nature, by the flesh, then you're going to act and think in ways that the flesh act and think. It just makes sense. Right? It's like when you're a four-year-old, guess what you're going to do? You're going to act like a four-year-old. Parents of four-year-olds, you know what I'm talking about. It's not pleasant. I mean, it's lovely. We love our kids. It's not when they're four. Those who are My kids aren't four. I can say that now. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. First things first, notice the word control. You read the word control over and over and over again. Listen to me. There is a power at work in you, one way or the other. There is a power at work in you that moves you. If you are outside of Christ, then the power that's at work in you is your sin. See, a lot of times we get this idea that we are born 
It's a humanistic idea. Um, our world loves this idea, and it's just completely false. But we get this idea that we are born in neutral, that, that as babies, that we are just born in this state. And we have the capacity for good, we have the capacity for evil, um, and, and we just are. The problem with that thinking is that it's not biblical. Okay? And when I read this text, here's what I find out. It is impossible to please God when we're still under the control of our sinful nature. Okay, so if you are here today and you are adamantly not a Christian, and there are some of you that are here today and, and you got brought, and I get it, and you, you got drug along and you're saying, you know, I don't believe any of this stuff. Uh, I'm just here today. Um, according to Paul, according to Scripture, according to the Bible, this is what God tells us. It is impossible for you to please God. Your best efforts will always fall short. You can give to charity. You can help puppies. Right? You can call the Sarah McLaughlin hotline when you see it on TV because you feel bad for the, the animals that are out in the cold. And you can give them all your money. It's impossible to please God. None of that will get it done. You can take on foster kids. By the way, if you're trying to figure out what to do, I like puppies. I like puppies, but go with the foster kids. If, you got, if you're weighing it, you've got to pick. But you could take on foster kids. You could adopt babies. You could do all kinds of things. But if you are apart from Christ, all of those things are fine and good from a worldly perspective. Okay, And God may even bless that decision a little bit. Um, but, but here's the thing. It is never enough to please God. That's what I read there. That's why those who are under the control of their sin nature can never please God. And there is only one way to break the control of your sin nature. And that's through the power of Jesus Christ. We continue here. Okay. Then Jesus said to it, oh, yeah, man, that's the one I want. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. See, so here's what Paul says. He says, so the only way for you to be controlled, uh, for you to control your sin nature, the only way for you to be free from the power of this, the only way for you to do this thing is to be different, to have your sin nature be gone. And then he goes in here, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. Okay, talking to the church, to Christians now, you're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. This is one of those texts that we refer to when we say, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. There are some, there are some folks that will teach that you become a Christian, and that's fine and good, but then later on, you need to get this, what we would call a baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? So you're good, you're, you're a Christian, but, but you're an incomplete Christian because now later on we need this thing where we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now we're a Christian that has the Holy Spirit living in us. But when I read Scripture, there is no separate thing. There is no Christian who has not the Holy Spirit, and there is no super-Christian that has the Holy Spirit in them. What I read here is, look, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, living in them, they don't belong to Him at all. There is no Christian that doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in you. What there is, there are Christians that have the Spirit active in their life, and then there are Christians who 
quench the Holy Spirit. But there is never a Christian that doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in you. This is something we need to understand. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, the power of God lives inside of you. Don't be confused by that because here's the other teachings you'll hear um, is that you are God, right? That you're one with God and you are, you're not God. I'm not God, okay? But I have the power of God living inside of me. And so do you if you're here this morning as a Christian. So this idea of, but that temptation, I'm trying to say no to temptation. I'm trying to say no to lust. I'm trying to say no to my anger. I'm trying to say yes to forgiveness. I'm trying to do these things, but the temptation to be different is rising and it's rising and it's gotten from level two to level five and now we're at DEFCON 10 or I don't even think it goes that high, but whatever it is and it's intense and I can't stand up to it. Good news. You don't have to by yourself. See, this is where we talk about authenticity. You know, I did counseling for a long time. And as a counselor, I would see all kinds of people come to my office. And I was the guy they sent everybody that said, yes, I'm a Christian. Okay, go see Hans. Because they all thought I was nuts, right? Why would you want to be a Christian? That's weird. So in the secular office that I worked in, if you, on your form, you marked that you were a, a Christian, um, that you, you believed in Jesus, then they would send you to see me. I'm not sure if that means they won or lost. Um, I like to think that they won. Um, they might disagree, but they would come see me, and, uh, and it, invariably, as we had our intake, as we sat down to have our conversation, and we talked about why did they come to counseling, and, and what are we going to be doing together, and how did this work, uh, it, it would come down to this one thing, okay? And, and the question is this, who are you really? Are you a Christian, or are you not? Because how we do counseling depends on the answer to that question. How you live life, according to scripture, has a lot to do with how you answer that question. This is where we have to have the conversation about who are you really and how authentic you want to be. Because here's the problem, and I, I, wanna, I, I, just, I need you to understand this, and this is probably going to disenfranchise some of you, okay? Uh, but but this, is just, this is what it is. So track with me. If you are not a Christian, then there is no need for you to place high value on saying no to sin. I, I mean, I'm not suggesting that I want you to go all willy-nilly with sin, but, but why are you racking yourself? Why are you struggling so hard to say no to temptation, to say no to sin, if you're not a Christian? And here's the thing, it will always fail. Because the temptation will get higher, the temptation will get ratcheted up, and you, without the Holy Spirit living inside of you, will ultimately fail and you'll be miserable. It won't work. So you're going to continue to live in sin, and you're going to continue to feel miserable because you tried to do your best, but your best is not good enough, and you fell down again, and you're stuck. But if you're a Christian... The Holy Spirit is living inside of you and you decide you're going to say no to sin and you're going to avoid temptation, you're going to stand up to temptation. The Holy Spirit, that power living in you, will help you say no to sin. There you have a chance for success. 
So the thing that you have to understand as a human being is that you need to first and foremost, you need to be authentic. This is what I would say to the people in my office all the time as we sit down. You're going to tell me you struggle with this. Let me ask you a question. Why do you feel the need to forgive? Why do you feel the need to forgive that person that wronged you? Because if it's, if it's because you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit will help you forgive, will help you stand up against temptation, will pray for you. If you're not a Christian, then what's the need to forgive? Because the sin nature will always win if you're not connected to God. And that's what we see in this text here. He says, look, um, the power of God lives in you. Remember, those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you so that even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. And so we get this grand picture here that says, yeah, separate from Jesus, separate from Christianity, separate from this faith that we share, it's never going to work. If you're here this morning and you're stuck in sin and you refuse Jesus, this is not the place for you. There is no hope for you here if you will refuse Jesus. Because the only hope we offer is the power of Jesus Christ. This is not a self-help place. This is not a place to come and figure out how to let go of your anger and move forward or, 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 or say no to, to things that are bad for you or your family or anything. No, 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 listen to me. The only hope we offer is in the person of Jesus Christ. That's all you're going to get from us. Okay? But when you have Jesus Christ, this grand power lives in you. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And it's a good deal. That Spirit is so powerful. Here's what it's going to do. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Okay? Uh, that should say 53 through 55. Um, but let me reveal to you, this is Paul talking now, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. But we're not going to die. This is Paul telling you, Christian, because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're not even going to die. Okay? Now take that in the right context. You're going to physically die. It's just not going to last. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. So what Paul's saying is at the end, at the end of all of this, everything is going to be right. Here's what he says. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. This is Paul saying, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to make sure that you don't even have to taste death. That yes, your mortal body is going to die. Your physical body will die, but it won't happen for long. It won't stay that way, but you'll be given a new body. See, our dying bodies will be transformed into bodies that will never die, into immortal bodies. You know how that happens? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that does that, that takes something that's necrotic and dead 
and decaying, and it brings it to life. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine whatever sin it is that you're struggling with. Whatever it is that wrecks you. If it's your abortion, it's your same-sex attraction, it's your unrepentant anger, it's the things that you've done to your family, whatever it is, the power of the Holy Spirit takes that necrotic, decaying sin, and it does something supernatural, and it brings it to life, and it's healed, and it's revived, and it's better. It's what it's supposed to be. That's what Paul teaches us here. He says, our dying bodies will be transformed into living bodies that are immortal, that never die. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. We go back to Romans and it says, that's the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Okay? And so we have this big question then is, how do I make sure that's me? How do I make sure that I have the power to overcome sin? How do I make sure that I have the power to overcome death? How do I make sure that God works in me? I've sat down in my office with lots and lots and lots of people and their final question to me as we finish our, our, our counseling or we finish our conversation, or, or heaven forbid, as, as I'm in the hospital, um, as, as things are about to, as they're about to be done with this earthly life. And they have the question, how do I know for sure? How do I know? How do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know God's promises are true for me? See, it's not questioning God's promises. It's questioning whether or not I've really, really accepted them for me. And so the big idea is this, look, it's a Christian is anyone who has the Spirit of God living inside them. And, and, and if you have sincerely trusted Christ for your salvation and you acknowledged him as your Lord, then the Holy Spirit lives in you and you're a Christian. But there's two things there, and we tend to do... Um, we, we tend to separate those. We tend to say, okay, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust Jesus for my salvation. I'm not going to live his way, though. I'm going to trust Jesus for my salvation. I am going to say, God, I'm a sinner. I screw up all the time. You died on the cross. Therefore, I trust you. You're going to save me. So thanks very much. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to keep living like I did when I didn't trust you doesn't work. The other one doesn't work either. There are some hyper-religious people out there, and here's what they're going to say. They're going to say, okay, God, I am going to follow all of your rules. To the letter of the law, I'm going to follow all of your rules, right? I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to go with girls that do. It's what they used to say in the Southern Baptist church I grew up in. You don't drink, you don't smoke, and you don't go with girls that do. And that was your ticket to salvation, that doesn't work either, okay? But if you've sincerely trusted Christ for your salvation and acknowledged him as Lord of your life, then the promises of God are true for you. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and it breaks every chain, every chain that binds you. And you're free to live differently. You'll stumble. You'll get stuck in that swamp, you know, the molasses swamp but you won't rot in the molasses swamp. You'll get to move on. Sin will happen. Listen, nobody here at this church is ever going to tell you that you should be sinless. 
But what we are going to tell you is that you should always be striving to be more and more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit that lives in you should always be pushing you to be more and more like Jesus. And when you sin, you're not thrilled with your sin. You're convicted of your sin and you move on. Okay? And so there's a couple things. How do you know if it, it, these are some things? If you're a Christian, these will be true for you. Okay? If these aren't true for you, okay, I'm not here to tell you that you're not a Christian. That's out of my pay grade. Okay? That's between you and God. But what I would suggest to you is if these things aren't true for you, perhaps it's time to take a look in the mirror and, and figure out what it is that you've been trusting. One, do you recognize Jesus as God's son? 1 John 5, 5 says, and, and who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. Scripture teaches us that time and time again. Two, um, that you begin to act as Christ directs you. Galatians 5, 22, 23, you know this, it's the fruits of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit, again, if you're a Christian, it lives inside of you. This is what it produces. It produces in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If your life is not marked by those things, or you're not growing in those things, well, you got to start to ask, why, why is that? Because if the Holy Spirit is in me, God is in me, I will start to show the fruit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You won't be perfect at those, but you'll grow in those. I got some issues on that list. My biggest one, well, my two biggest ones, gentleness. If you ask Carrie, when we first met, I'm not sure why she continued to date me. God was gracious to me. Carrie was silly. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I was not overly gentle. Some of you that know me now, know me well, are not surprised by that. In fact, you, you all were supposed to be more shocked. Like, let's try it again. When I met Carrie, I wasn't very gentle, right? Thank you, that was better. Um, but it's true. I'm still, some of you that know me well would say, Hans, you're, you're still not all that gentle. That's, that's true. You should have met me 10 years ago. I'm growing in my gentleness. I'm not perfect in my gentleness, but I'm growing in my gentleness because Holy Spirit lives inside of me and pushes me on. And when I'm not gentle, I go home and I confess it and I submit to God and I say, I'm going to do better. You've got things on that list too. But if you're not growing, then what in the world do you think the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you? When you're a Christian, you find daily help with your problems, and you find daily help with your prayers. This is where we're talking about standing up to temptation, trusting God, even when it's hard. We'll read this text next week, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but guess what? The Holy Spirit does, and he prays for us. The Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. If you're a Christian, 
then this is happening in your life. Number four, be empowered to serve God and do his will. If you're a Christian, then you are feeling more and more empowered and you are serving God and you are actively involved in the ministry. Some of you, you've been coming here for years and you've yet to check the box of, I should probably start serving somewhere. Because it's a Sunday morning deal for you. You're like, all right, God, I'm, I'm going to give you from 928 because nobody wants to be late. So I'm going to be here from 928 until 1150. And as the last note hits, I'm out the door. And that's what God wants. Well, that's not what God wants, right? If I'm a Christian, then I'm empowered to serve God and do his will. Here's what God says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? And if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is upon you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And if that's true for you, then you've received power and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. If you're not on mission and you don't feel compelled or called to be on mission, then maybe... You got to figure out why that is. And the last thing here, oh my goodness, there it is. The last thing here is that we recognize if you're a Christian, that you're part of God's plan to build his church. It's one of the reasons why we take membership so seriously, because as a believer in Christ with the Holy Spirit living in you, you have a responsibility to the church. Responsibilities to equip God's people to do the work and to build up the church in the body of Christ. That's what the church is about. We build one another up to do the work and then we go do it and we make disciples. Disciples who make disciples. So I, I want you to track where we're at today. So, so we're saying, look, there's two natures. There's a sin nature and there's a spirit nature. Anyone who's a Christian has the Holy Spirit living in them, and that breaks the chains, right? The same Spirit that is going to give us new heavenly bodies when that day comes, that same Spirit lives in you, and it breaks the chain of sin. So you're not compelled to sin anymore, but you're compelled and you're free to live differently now than you ever have, okay? And so be sure that you're a Christian. Make sure these things are true for you, but if they are, then you are someone new and you're able to move forward. And so we get, oh my goodness, we get... So we get to this, it says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, because of all that that we just said, you are now have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you'll die. But through the power of the spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sin nature, you'll live. You are under no obligation to sin. Here's the deal. Stop convincing yourself that you can't do different. Stop believing that you can't get past it. I don't care what it is. If you are here today and you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit is in you, stop believing that you can't do different. It's been years and years and years, man. I've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, I know, right? But the Holy Spirit is going to take your dead, decayed flesh, make you brand new. It can handle your sin, even if it's been 20 years. But the urge and the temptation is so strong. I'm not sure I can stand up to it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I do. I've been there. But the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. I think he can handle it. You're under no obligation to sin. 
No obligation to sin. And then we get to this last thing here. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. See, all of this tracks. All of this tracks through, right? There's two natures. There's a sin nature and there's the spirit. The Spirit lives inside of you. The Spirit empowers you to live different, to be different, to act different, to think different. It breaks the chains of sin. Why? Because now you've been adopted as God's own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. And his Holy Spirit lives inside of us to affirm that this is true. Listen, if you are here as a Christian today, you are a child of God. Some of you know about adoption really well. Some of you get adoption. Some of you have been adopted. Some of you have adopted children. If you've adopted children, you know how this works. But when we adopted Riley, it's cool, right? We went to court. I know that's not the cool part. Um, but we went to court. You know, we did all the paperwork. We did all the stuff. We went. The, the actual court thing was really short. Um, it was like, hey, okay, all the paperwork's in order. Anybody argue? Nobody argued. You know, bang the gavel, it's done. But you know what happened like four weeks later? I got something in the mail, okay? What I got in the mail for, for our, our new 12-year-old daughter, she came when she was 10. We didn't get the adoption done until she was 12. Um, but what I got for my new 12-year-old daughter was a new birth certificate, now, the document of legal record, all other ones destroyed, all other ones gone. The only document that now exists about Riley's parents is Carrie and I. Somebody searches through the history, somebody looks for the records of Riley's heritage, where she comes from, who her parents are, where she was born, okay? Wasn't in California. It wasn't her biological parents. It was Carrie and I in Rock Island County, Illinois. According to the birth certificate, I was 16 when we had Riley. Biggest mistake I ever made was having a kid at 16. It was hard, even though we didn't get her until she was 10. But everything was new. Everything was different. Legally, there is no past for her that has her as not our children, not our child, as us as not her parents. It doesn't exist anymore. And if you've adopted children, that's the same thing. Or if you've been adopted, that's exactly what happened to you. And as a Christian, what Paul tells us here is that that's exactly what happens through Jesus Christ when the power of the Holy Spirit makes you new, is that you are now a child of God. You're no longer, we sang the song, I am no longer a slave to fear or sin or death or decay. What am I? I am a child of God. Adopted, the Holy Spirit seals the deal, right? You know what happens? Uh, when, I, when I got the birth certificate, it had the official stamp. You know what? It's, it's that embossing, that seal that says this is official, this is an official document 
was notarized and done and, and final. That's what the Holy Spirit does in you. The Holy Spirit seals the deal. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you are a child of God. And if you're here this morning and, and that's true for you, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to have confidence to live life like that. If you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, that is available to you. In a two-step process, I trust God, I trust Jesus for my salvation, and I submit to him as Lord of my life. And it will be a bumpy, messy, hard, difficult ride. But in the process, it will be so worth it as you are made new, as you're moved from death to life, as the power of the Holy Spirit breaks every chain of bondage that you've lived with. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Um, what's going to happen is, is they're going to take a minute to collect this morning's offering. But along with that, if you're visiting with us, please feel under no obligation to participate in that. That's something that those of us that call Blessed Hope home, that we do to fund the ministries of the church. But, but on top of that, here, here's what I'd like you to do. If you're here this morning and, and, and you need to make a decision, you know what? I want to follow Jesus. And maybe it's for the very first time, or frankly, maybe it's for the hundredth time. And you say, you know what? I just need to be serious about submitting to Jesus. I'd like you to just to, to write your name and, and write a note that you're submitting to Jesus. First, hundredth, doesn't matter. On that tear-off card in your bulletin, throw it in the offering plate as it goes by. I'd really love to pray for you and reach out to you and see how I can help you in that journey, okay? Would you pray for me? And, and you can be doing that while we pray if that's something you need to do. Heavenly Father, God, we just love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. Thank you for the fact that, that, that you give us your Holy Spirit, that our spirit lives in us. Said that wrong. God, that your spirit lives in us, that we are empowered to live a life that honors you, that says no to ungodliness, that says yes to godliness, that we can grow and strive, and that you break the chains of bondage, the things that we know don't do anything for us, that we can put those behind us and we can move forward with confidence, that you raise from the dead, and that you will do the same for us, and that you love us and that you care for us. Father, thank you so much for that truth. And if there are people here this morning struggling with it, God, I pray that you'll just confirm in their hearts that you love them and that you are for them and that you want them. And God, I pray that you'll just, you'll cement their decision to follow you as Lord of their life. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for all things. Amen.